The myth of Andrew Cuomo, pandemic hero, has been laid to waste. A new report from the New York Times shows the depth of the New York governor's incompetence and cowardice. Friends, it's time for Hold the Line. Some politicians will always play politics, right? That's the nature of the beast. Uh, I don't think today is a day for politics. Uh, I wasn't elected by politicians. I was elected by the people of the state of New York. Uh, I'm not going to resign. No, he's not going to resign. Welcome to Hold the Line. I'm Buck Sexton. That was the governor yesterday telling people what I think we pretty much already knew, that he's going to stay in this fight till the very end. You will have to take power out of his, of his grip with everything you've got. Because Cuomo is all about that. He's all about being the guy who gets his way, who's in charge. And over the past year, he's become the dictator of New York. The problem with that, and there are many, is that when you have somebody with so much authority, the chances that it will be abused get higher and higher all the time. And he certainly did just that. We know about the sexual harassment allegations recently, but there's even more about the nursing home scandal that we have to talk to you about now. Now, remember, New York had one of the worst COVID responses in the entire country, particularly at the beginning of the pandemic, second in per capita deaths from COVID only to New Jersey right next door. But New York's nursing homes were subjected to an order from Governor Cuomo, an executive order, in which he said, you have to take people back from the hospital who have COVID. So seniors with COVID, you can't say we're not taking you back. You can't say we have to find an alternative for you. And there was an absolute catastrophe in the nursing homes with uh, enormous amounts of casualties, about 15,000 dead in New York nursing homes. Turns out Cuomo had people change the numbers. I mean, this was all intentional. This was fraud, essentially, against the people of New York State. Here's the New York Times that's decided to, at least on this issue for the day, act like journalists. A report written by state health officials has just landed and it included account of how many nursing home residents in New York had, da- had died in the pandemic. The number, more than 9,000 by that point in June, was not public and the governor's most senior aides wanted to keep it that way. They rewrote the report to take it out, according to interviews and documents reviewed by the New York Times. The extraordinary intervention, which came just as Mr. Cuomo was starting to write a book on his pandemic achievements, was the earliest yet known in what critics have called a months-long effort by the governor and his aides to obscure the full scope of nursing home deaths. That's right, Cuomo didn't want people to know what had happened. Now, that's true on several levels. He certainly didn't want them to know that he was presiding over the worst pandemic response in the entire country. Tough to be writing books on leadership when that's actually your record. So that's, at a baseline, a motive for covering up the numbers and the facts here. But it goes beyond that. He also didn't want anybody to connect the enormous Uh, death toll in those nursing homes with the order that he gave, the executive order to nursing homes specifically that they must take back COVID positive patients and that he then rescinded. Why rescind an order if it's just the federal guidance? Why rescind an order if it's what everybody's doing? That's the claim that he makes. Does anybody really believe that? Does anybody really think that that's true? Well, maybe Cuomo does, but he has to believe whatever lets him sleep at night these days. The governor was catastrophic in his response to COVID-19. This was an enormous scandal on its own. And the media went along with it because it was an election year. 
because they were desperate to beat Donald Trump. And Cuomo, because he understands politics, he's cunning. He's not ethical, he's not wise, but he is cunning. He knew that as long as he positioned himself as the anti-Trump on COVID issues, he would be defended and held up by the corporate media, coast to coast, not just here in the Northeast, for being a leader. That, that's how he got to writing a book, getting an Emmy for his COVID press conferences, the Cuomo-sexuals moment in our history where people were talking about how attractive he was and, and the love gov and all this stuff that was being said was all nonsense. It was actually the opposite of the truth. It was the exact wrong conclusion that people should have come to from his leadership, from the decisions he was making as governor. You want absolute power, Cuomo? You live with the consequences of those decisions you make. And that's where we are now. And then add to that, the now three sexual harassers, uh, sexual harassment accusers, pardon me, who have come forward and said that Governor Cuomo was harassing them. The latest one, uh, Charlotte Bennett, spoke very clearly about what she thinks Governor Cuomo had in mind. Governor Cuomo said that he has never propositioned anybody. Do you believe that he was propositioning you? Yes. For what? Sex. He asked me if age difference mattered. He also explained that he was fine with anyone over 22. And how old are you? 25. What were you thinking as he's asking you these questions? I thought, he's trying to sleep with me. The governor's trying to sleep with me. And I'm deeply uncomfortable and I have to get out of this room as soon as possible. That's what we call a credible allegation. All lines up, not the first, not the only one. And yet Governor Cuomo stays in office. Hmm. I thought Democrats took Me Too stuff seriously. So right now Democrats are willing to abide by a guy committing fraud, changing the numbers, lying about deaths, making an awful decision in fact, taking a bow when he should have been begging forgiveness, that's the reality of Cuomo's COVID response. And on top of it, propositioning young women who are directly in his chain of command, whose futures he holds in his hand for sex. And he's still the governor and plans to finish out his term. And here's a preview, here's a, here's a prediction. He will run again for office. He will run again. Unless somebody stops him, unless someone steps up, unless the Democrats get a conscience. So I wouldn't, I wouldn't wait around on that one. So we've learned what an incompetent fraud Governor Cuomo actually is, but are the latest revelations enough to end his political career? I've told you what I think about this. Let's bring somebody in who follows state politics very closely. Chairman of the New York, uh, New York GOP, Nick Langworthy. He'll be with us when we come back. You never thought COVID-19 could cost you your home, right? Well, it just might. Here's why. Cybercrime is up about 75%, and the most serious cybercrime when it comes to your home is home title theft. That's right, cyber criminals, foreign and domestic, are now after our homes, and it's easier than you'd think. The title documents to our homes are online now. The thief finds your home's title and forges your signature on a quitclaim deed, stating you sold your home to him. Then he takes out loans on your home and leaves you in debt. You won't know until late payment or eviction notices arrive. Insurance doesn't cover you, and neither do common identity theft programs. That's why I protect my home with Home Title Lock. 
The instant home title lock detects someone tampering with my home's title, they help shut it down. Go to HomeTitleLock.com and register your address to see if you're already a victim, then use code RADIO to receive 30 free days of protection. That's code RADIO at HomeTitleLock.com. Again, code RADIO at HomeTitleLock.com. Governor Cuomo under fire on two fronts as the scandals continue to be a rapidly evolving situation here, but is it enough to knock the king off his throne, so to speak. Our next guest is leading the fight to get Cuomo out of office, but he says this is a long way from being over. Let's bring in New York Republican Chairman Nick Langworthy. Nick, good to see you. Cuomo has built up an arsenal of political support of the past decade in office. Do you think these two scandals can actually take him down? Well, thanks for having me back, Buck. I, I do think that uh, the governor is not going anywhere on his own. He will not resign. He does not have it in him to resign. You, it requires someone to have shame. Um, the one unspoken rule in Albany that people haven't uh, is now come to the surface is that everybody hates Andrew Cuomo, whether you're a Democrat or Republican, you don't want to deal with him. He's uh, a bully. He's someone that will do anything or run over anyone to get his own way. So he has virtually zero allies coming to his defense at this time. Uh, you know, you have a very serious scandal here that's emerged in the last week with the sexual harassment allegations. But we can't lose sight of how serious the I believe obstruction of justice crimes are, uh, they're even worse than we thought before now that the Wall Street Journal and the New York Times have uncovered that his senior staff stripped out data of the nursing home deaths from the official reports from the health department. Yeah, I wanna get into to the latest revelations in that uh, with you in just a second, but I, I wanna ask what would it require to get rid of him through the impeachment process? What, what would have to happen there with the New York State Legislature? He'd have to have many more defections within the Democrat Party. Uh, our, our Senate Democrat leader, Andrea Seward-Cousins, today came out and said, well, if there's one more sexual harassment accuser, he probably should resign. Uh, I mean, how many does it take? Is it three? Is it four? I mean, that that's really what's so ridiculous about the hypocrisy that the Democrats are showing here. Uh, Andrew Cuomo, can the, the process worked very similar to the federal government. Uh, you need articles of impeachment to come through the assembly, and then the Senate serves as a jury. Uh, I, I think it's still uh, an unlikely scenario because the Democrats simply lack the political courage. Now, today, they, they took to the floor of the state legislature, and they said they were going to strip him of his emergency powers. And those emergency powers have just crippled businesses because he's had executive order after executive order that's put uh, very arbitrary and capricious uh, policies in place that have crippled, especially the restaurant industry. But the, their legislation actually extends his power over the existing executive orders. I mean, it, it's like we live in the twilight zone here in New York. But They've I, actually I, given orders for long. I want to ask, back, back to getting him out of office, just to be clear, it has really only been raised by members of his own party at this point. Is it fair to say that he should leave office for the sexual harassment and not, and we're about to dive into the latest on the nursing home scandal, but not the nursing home scandal? I mean, is, is it the position from what we're seeing of New York State Assemblymen on the Democrat side that the sexual harassment stuff is worse than the nursing home stuff? 
to the to the Democrats, yes. Uh, you know, wow. you, you got nearly a peep out of these uh, the, the Democrats that run the state legislature uh, about the nursing home scandals. They they said that we were playing politics with the situation, and they were you know mostly coming to his defense. It's only since the sexual harassment allegations have come forward that these Democrats now all of a sudden have a different mindset. And there's been some calls for impeachment and, and a few calls for resignation, but certainly not from the most powerful among them. Now we have on July 6th, getting into the latest with the nursing home, on July 6th, Governor Cuomo, when, the, when there was a, an initial surge of questioning about what happened in New York State nursing homes under the Cuomo executive order, here's how he responded. I get politics, right? And I get the political environment and I get the ugliness of politics better than most. It was pure politics and it was ugly politics. Uh, and now the report has the facts and the facts uh, tell the exact opposite story. The facts tell the exact opposite story, he says. Doesn't really seem that way to the rest of us, given that as of today, the Wall Street Journal just had a report that there were people close to him who said Cuomo had the numbers intentionally changed to represent basically a 50% lower death toll than was the real number. This is terrifying because you see how brazen his lie is in that video. He knows damn well that he ordered his staff to strip that data from the reports. And this all came at the same time as he was finishing negotiating his book deal. He was asking for ethical permission from the state authorities in order to make outside income authoring the memoir. Uh, it, you know, it's almost as if this led, this was driven by his desire to have the book out there that declared him the hero of COVID-19, the book that, you know, put him on the map is the anti-Trump in his eyes. And the governor's personal desire for profit very well may have led to this decision to make his staff strip and hide the nursing home deaths. It's so callous. It's so disgusting. Uh, and that's you know exactly why we've called for his impeachment. I mean, we learn more and more by the day here. It's, it's just disgusting. Why are the Democrats so resistant, in your opinion, to actually taking action against Cuomo? Uh, he, as you said, he has no allies, it seems, in state government. But is he just too powerful a brand? I mean, they obviously would replace him with the Democrats. So what, what, what's slowing them down on this one? Do, do people owe him favors or the things we don't know about? Well, I think that there is a fear that he's just that ruthless and he has used uh, the full weight of the, of the state government and no one knows all the ins and outs of state government better than Andrew Cuomo. He's been studying it and implementing it since he was uh, in law school when his dad was governor of the state. So uh, he could teach a master's class on how to be governor and he uses it to his full extent of power against even members of his own party. So I think there is a fear factor that he's uh, too tough for them to take on, that they'll suffer a consequence, whether it's, you know, a state level politician worried about the pork that they'd normally get for their districts in in the upcoming budget process where the governor really holds 80 percent of the cards in the budget process. The governor gets what he wants uh, and he still has these extraordinary powers. They were due to sunset on April 30th. And today they're passing legislation that's going to uh, allow him to continue to preside over the sitting executive orders indefinitely until Joe Biden declares that the pandemic's over. Uh, that's it just shows how afraid they really are. But then they're telling New Yorkers, of course, that they've 
curb the governor's uh, emergency powers. The, the lies know no bounds in New York. Lying, lying even about that. I don't know, Nick, I appreciate you're here with me in New York trying to hold the line, as the show tells us all. But uh, Florida's looking pretty good these days, my man. A lot of GOP <laughs> down there. Thanks, Nick, for joining. Good to see you. Thanks, Buck. U.S. Senate's currently debating the $1.9 trillion Democratic spending spree that is masquerading as a COVID relief package. Will the GOP have the guts to say no? CEO of American Majority, Ned Ryan, joins us next. Have you ever wanted to invest in real estate, but you didn't have the time to do it on your own, didn't know how to get started? I felt exactly that way until about a year ago. I've always loved the idea of real estate investment, but I didn't know how to get to step one, especially while keeping all my obligations, right? I'm doing hours and hours a day of original programming. I know you're really busy too. You got a lot going on. So how was I ever going to take the time to invest in real estate on my own? Well, then I met my friends at Done For You Real Estate. They took all of the guesswork out of it for me. They found me an awesome property. They rented it out for me right away. They managed the tenant, and now I get a check every month like clockwork. Don't wait another second to see if my buddies at Done For You Real Estate can do for you what they did for me. Visit doneforyoubuck.com to see how this works today. Again, they will take you through every step of the process, picking the city, the house, getting the mortgage set up, getting a tenant in, the management company, all of it. Go to doneforyoubuck.com today. Again, that's doneforyoubuck.com. We're getting ready to go through an unfortunate bit of political theater. And the reason for that is that the Democrats have made the decision to be hard partisans rather than to work together in a bipartisan manner. Last year, Congress passed five separate COVID relief bills. Every one of them was bipartisan. So it's not just empty words. Republicans here have demonstrated that we are ready and willing to roll up our sleeves and work together in a bipartisan manner to address COVID, to defeat this pandemic, and to get people back to work. Joe Biden and Chuck Schumer and Nancy Pelosi could have done the same. But they made a decision instead. This is not a COVID bill. That was Senator Ted Cruz on the Democrats' latest attempt at a, quote, COVID relief bill. You'd think since it's been a few months, they might, uh, as the majority now in Congress, decide that they would be refined and focused, right? That's what you would assume. Evidently not. This bill is filled with pork. It backtracks from previous promises of a $2,000 relief check and spends most of its provisions on items completely unrelated to the pandemic. Thanks, Democrats. Of course. To discuss this further, I'm joined by CEO of American Majority, Ned Ryan. Ned, I know we're not surprised the Democrats are doing something like this, but is the brazenness of it, the sheer scope, the $1.9 trillion-ness of this, uh, a little bit of a wow moment. What do you think? You know, it, it probably would be more of a moment if we actually had an honest media that would cover the fact that about 90% of this bill has absolutely nothing to do with coronavirus. Uh, I think the actual statistics, about 9% of the bill of the $1.9 trillion has anything to do with COVID relief. But of course, Democrats, again, you got to hand it to them in some way, Buck. Like, never miss an opportunity. Let's Let's we use coronavirus to rig the elections. Let's use coronavirus to pay off our friends. I mean, one of the things I, you know, Cruz is fighting, and, and thankfully I think there are about eight Democrat senators that are going to stand with him. You know, why are we giving $1,400 stimulus checks to illegal uh, immigrants? I mean, that's $8 billion when we're $28 trillion in debt. We're in a $1.9 trillion bill, and we, we figure, oh, let's just tack on $8 billion to give the illegal uh, immigrants. But thankfully, eight, eight Democrat senators, I think, are going to stand with Cruz on that amendment. 
uh, to try and block that that crazy, uh, among many, uh, a crazy part of that supposed uh, COVID relief bill. Why can't we at least get a clarity here? I mean, there's payments of $1,400 to most individuals. I remember they were talking about $2,000. Here, here you go. Here's the relief package in pre-see form here. Checks started uh, to phase out at $75,000 in income, $400 per week unemployment supplemental through August 29th, expansion of the child tax credit to give families up to $3,600 per child over a year. So they are sending money to people here, but what, what happened to the $2,000 a person, Ned? Right. The amazing part is, again, Buck, we, we can't even figure out how to give $2,000 checks to American taxpayers, to American citizens, and we're, we're going ahead and spending you know, trillions of dollars, tens of billions in foreign aid, sending money overseas for gender studies in Pakistan. We can't get our acts together to actually help bail out American citizens who have been crushed. I mean, I think it's over 100,000 small businesses. At one point, of course, it was tens of millions of Americans out of job, and we can't figure out how to give them $2,000, which is a paltry sum, by the way, Buck. I, obviously, if you do the math, and, and people haven't been out of work for weeks and weeks, 2000 bucks, uh, not a lot of money. It's a shame, again, because uh, I, I would remind people the overarching theme of Congress and the broken system of D.C., the American people and the American taxpayer are an afterthought if they're lucky, right? The ruling class takes care of it on its own. It thinks political calculations, how are we going to pay off our friends, how are we going to put money in certain places that will benefit us, benefit the ruling class. But the American people, oh, no, 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 no. They're just the, they're just the ATM, the poor suckers who are the ATM that actually fund the ruling class's priorities. And if we throw them a little bit, we'll throw them crumbs off the table if they're lucky. Feels a little bit of deja vu here, Ned, because at the start of the Obama administration in 2009, we had a financial crisis, not a pandemic virus crisis, but that was used to ram through, as you remember, what seemed like a massive bill at the time of, I believe it was $900 billion, give or take, of a stimulus plan. We were told that that was necessary to avoid a depression. Now we're being told by Biden with the pandemic going on, of course, Democrats coming into office recently, that this is necessary to get us past the pandemic, to get us past the virus and up and running again. If that's the case, why why do they have to do all this stuff that has nothing to do with it? I mean, do, do you think there's any possibility that as we saw the last time around back in 2009, this may come back to haunt Democrats in the midterms when the American people see what are, you, what are you spending tens of billions of dollars in funding that has nothing to do with COVID? Well, I certainly hope so. I hope enough of the American people are actually paying attention. I hope enough of the facts and the truth get out. Again, I'm not banking on the propagandists and the media actually being honest about any of this. Uh, but but again, yeah, it's, it's one of those things where the American people, dear God, Buck, at some point you think they'd wake up and realize you're getting played for fools here. I'm sorry, but, but but all the money that is being sent through your tax dollars is not being used to benefit you, benefit the American worker, benefit the American taxpayer. You know, it's to bail out their, their Wall Street buddies back in the day. It's not to bail out their political allies and further entrench. Quite frankly, you know, if you're handing out stimulus checks to illegal immigrants, we know for a fact that two thirds of them that come in through chain migration, they're going to vote Democrat. You got to keep building your base there, but got to keep paying them and, and keep them on the Democratic team so that you can have more of a political base going into the midterms. But I hope the American people wake up and understand, God, they, they are not actually working on your behalf, not in the least. Just switching gears for a minute, Ned, I was seeing all the, the commentary yesterday from Democrat members of the House of Representatives about the threat that they thought they were under. They had to cease business on Capitol Hill. The Senate stayed. So apparently the Senate was not under some extreme threat from Trump supporters who were going to bring about some kind of a coup. 
this stuff is absurd, but also really disconcerting. They're extending, right. they want to extend the National Guard deployment by another 60 days. Well, Ned, what do you make of that we can view this as theatrics and people, I think, should if, if they rationally understand what's going on, but they're also taking action. I mean, Democrats are doing this for a purpose, and I'm wondering what you think that purpose is. Uh, my, my point, the purpose, I think, is that actually we're in control. Don't even think about, you know, challenging the status quo. It, it really is sickening, though, that, that they're using this. And again, Buck, I don't think this is ending anytime soon. When you say 60 days, I'll be shocked if it ends in 60 days. I feel like they're just going to keep on coming up with excuses. You know, we'll have another March 4th pretend fake conspiracy, storming of the Capitol, whatever the heck conspiracy theory they came up with this time. I think we'll come up with another one in April or May or June, July and keep on going. Uh, but it really is, I think, just a power. It's a power statement. We're in control. You're not. Uh, we're in charge of, 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 our go- of this government of, of Washington, D.C. You dirty little peasants aren't. Don't even think of challenging the status quo. And by God, don't even think of questioning election results uh, in the future or it'll get even worse for you. Stunning stuff, Ned. Uh, I just want to know, are, are, you, are you feeling like uh, the, the big guy after CPAC? How, how do you view the, the future of the, of the GOP right now, given the president just spoke to everybody at CPAC? It seemed like he's back in the game, but we're not sure how much or how exactly. Uh, I got to tell you, I got to see him about a week and a half ago. We shot the breeze for about 45 minutes, Buck. Uh, he's back. I mean, he's still obviously very disappointed uh, in how the election uh, turned out, but I think he's going to play a significant role, as I've hoped for and as I've told you uh, in the midterms, especially for the, on those Republican races, those people that voted for impeachment. And I think he's going to play a significant role in these open Senate races. So I think he plans on on really stamping America first and, and his role in the primaries uh, in 2022. So I'm encouraged. Ned Ryan, everybody. Ned, good to see you. Thanks, Buck. It's been a tough couple of weeks for America's children with the far left coming for Mr. Potato Head, Dr. Seuss, and now Bugs Bunny's girlfriend. You heard that right. Evolutionary psychologist and foe of cancel culture, God Saad joins us next. We all know cancel culture is accelerating at a crazy rate. The latest to succumb, eBay. eBay is announcing it is barring the resale of six Dr. Seuss books over offensive imagery after the books were selling for hundreds of dollars on the platform. But guess what you can still buy on eBay? Hitler's Mein Kampf. That's right. Uh, And Jewish Supremacism the book by former KKK Grand Wizard David Duke, the Unabomber's Manifesto, and the journals of the two Columbine killers who murdered 13 people, but not six banned Dr. Seuss books. This gets a little confusing, right? Let's bring in somebody who can try to make sense of it all. The Voice of Gad, author of The Parasitic Mind, How Infectious Ideas Are Killing Common Sense. Gad Sad, good to see you, my man. Oh, thank you so much for having me again, Buck. Cheers. Let's start with... um, why, what does the left, I mean, there's, there's sort of the obvious stuff about it's a power trip. People like to call out other people. Bullying actually makes the bullier feel better. The, you know, psychologists have figured this out in recent years. The bully, bullying does not come from a place necessarily of people hating themselves. It makes them feel better. But why would somebody want to get rid of Dr. Seuss books? And I know that Dr. Seuss's company did it, but they were trying to preempt the pressure they knew was coming. Why? So I think it's a form of orgiastic self-cannibalism. And in the parasitic mind, I 
analogize the, the current insanity with the left to say ISIS, right? ISIS, most of the people that they kill are fellow Muslims, right? Uh, why do they kill them? Because they have to demonstrate their bona fide uh, stripes as being truly pure practitioners of Islam. And therefore, they don't need to go out and kill Christians and Jews and Yazidi and so on. They turn inward and then they punish those who are of their same faith, who are not progressive enough, or in this case, Islamic enough. I think the the, the left is doing the exact same thing. They don't need to go after Rush Limbaugh and uh, Buck Sexton. Uh, they look inward and they try to demonstrate that they are truly pure in their wokeism. So they are eating themselves in a sense here. That is something that's gonna continue to happen. I wanted to, to show you this. This is the latest one. I don't know if you've even seen this, but the movie Space Jam, which is a, a honestly steaming garbage, garbage pile, even for a cartoon, but the movie Space Jam had a character called Lola Bunny. And I, hopefully we can show everybody what we're talking about here. I, I've never seen Space Jam, really. I think I watched it in a movie theater when I was a kid and it was awful then. But on the left, you have the old Lola Bunny. On the right, you have the new Lola Bunny. And the director of Space Jam, A New Legacy, said... I was caught off guard by the first movie's very sexualized depiction of Lola Bunny. This is 2021. It is important to reflect the authenticity of strong, capable female characters. I mean, I feel like we're getting to a point, Gad, where here we are looking at looking at cartoons. And so, so why don't we have like a, a frumpy Superman with a gut who's got three masks on? Because, I mean, he's not that super. Right. Well, do you remember the cartoon from the 1980s, Jessica Rabbit? She was a very alluring and uh, sexy. Now, in today's world, that would be inappropriate. Look, I think it's a form of, again, uh, woke purity where you're trying to remove any uh, secondary sexual characteristics, right? Because it is uh, somehow akin to Nazism for men to look like men and women to look like women. Think about Heaven's Gate. Do you remember that? clan who, I don't know when it was exactly, 15, 20 years ago, they uh, committed mass suicide. They were arguing that we should live in genderless bodies, right? The left is doing the exact same thing. So if you've got a cartoon character that is exhibiting characteristics that look very feminine, we need to eradicate that, you know, for unity. When people talk about cult, uh, cultural Marxists, which comes up a lot in the cancel culture debate, uh, how would you start to explain that to people about about why that term, how that term may be useful and and where there's crossover between the cancel culture and either cultural Marxists or I've even seen people talking about with identity politics recently, the term ethno Marxists explain some of the crossover. Well, I mean, I'm, I'm not exactly sure what people mean when they say cultural Marxists. I know that my friend Jordan Peterson often uses it. Look, it's in one way, it's it's a battle between classes in the classic Marxist sense, the proletariat and the bourgeoisie. In this case, there is the pure woke people fighting against the rest of us, the great unwashed, the rubes. Uh, so there are different ways by which we could you know, draw links. The general idea, though, is that it's a re all of these movements seek to create a utopia. Uh, it's a false utopia, but in the pursuit of that utopia, they must eradicate things like logic, common sense, science, evidence-based thinking. I mean, that's the whole point of the parasitic mind. It's grotesque, and if we don't push back against it, we will head towards the abyss of infinite lunacy. Let's dive into that again for a second, just for anybody who might not have seen our, our first interview here on the show. When you refer to a parasitic mind in the context of left-wing culture and politics, what is a parasitic mind? 
So it is a mind that has been parasitized, very much akin to how an animal could be parasitized by an actual brainworm, right? Toxoplasma gondii is a parasite that when it inflicts a mouse, the mouse loses its innate fear of cats. It becomes sexually attracted to the cat's urine, which is not a good attraction to hold. Well, an idea pathogen, as I describe it, is akin to such a parasite because it leads us quietly and compliantly down to the abyss of infinite lunacy. It parasitizes our ability to think straight, right? Uh, queers for Palestine, right? That's a parasitic idea, right? If you are, quote, a queer, this is, this is not my term. It's not a pejorative term. It's a term that they have assigned to themselves. If you are part of the LGBT community, it certainly does not make sense for you to be supporting Palestine. You should be queers for Tel Aviv. Tel Aviv has a huge vibrant market or, or ecosystem for LGBT community. So it demonstrates that when people become parasitized by these idea pathogens, it's ideology that drives their positions rather than actual thought processes. What is the prognosis for what we can do here, Gad? I mean, we, we can't take flagell for uh, the parasitic mind. So what what is the option? What What are the ways to go forward? It feels like with cancel culture now, being able to harness big tech in the ways that we've been talking about as well, we are at a serious disadvantage here. We have far less artillery in the propaganda war to deploy. So in, in chapter seven of the parasitic mind, I talk about an epistemological tool that we can use when we're debating people. I call it nomological networks of cumulative evidence. This is when, if I'm trying to prove to you a certain position, I will try to get data for you from across cultures, across time periods, across methodologies, across disciplines, so I can prove my point. It takes a lot of effort, but at least it ensures that when I go out into the battle of ideas, I am really well armed. Think about Larry Elder, the sage of LA. When he debates someone, he drowns them in fact, so that they're, they have to run away you know, hysterically, right? So number one, be well armed to defend your position. Number two, have the testicular fortitude to defend your position. Activate your inner honey badger. Don't run away when the cancel culture comes after you. I get attacked, two days ago, I yesterday, someone wanted to cancel me because I dared uh, disagree with AOC's position on the minimum wage. For that person, my university should have fired me from ho for holding a position that is contrary to his. Guess what? I didn't recoil. I didn't file an apology. I didn't show contriteness. I went after him hard. So you have to be a, a well-armed honey badger, and hopefully we can win this idea, this battle of ideas. The voice of Gad tells you all, be a honey badger when you've got to. Gad, good to see you. Everyone pick up a copy of The Parasitic Mind. Thanks so much. Cheers, buddy. Take care. For decades now, the opposition to abortion has been championed by the Catholic Church in America. So why are so many Catholics still voting for Democrats? After the break, my conversation with the president of the National Pro-Life Religious Council, Father Frank Pavone. Stay with us. We're living in very uncertain times. Being prepared for the unknown is more important than ever. I'm sure you've noticed this new Biden administration is making the world anything but predictable. And the government's passing these massive spending bills. The Federal Reserve is printing trillions of dollars in fiat currency. And a lot of experts are predicting that inflation could start to tick up and even run rampant eventually. That could spell disaster for the dollars in your bank account. We could all benefit from something reliable right about now. What could be more reliable than real gold and silver? I'm talking about actual gold and silver that you can hold right in your hands. Call the Oxford Gold Group now and learn how easy it is to get real gold and silver sent securely directly to your home or how you can have real gold and silver placed in your IRA or 401k. Just call the Oxford Gold Group at 
600 Gold and ask for your free guide on owning gold and silver. Again, call the Oxford Gold Group right now, 833-600-GOLD. The Oxford Gold Group is the only gold company I trust. Give them a call, 833-600-GOLD. That's 833-600-G-O-L-D. I was joined by the National Director of Priests for Life, Father Frank Pavone, at CPAC in Orlando over the weekend. We discussed the abortion debate in America, why many Catholics continue to vote for Democrats, and where the clergy stands on issues of politics. Let's take a look. Continuing here at CPAC with Father Frank Pavone, National Director of Priests for Life. Father Pavone, great to see hey, you. Hey, Buck, it's great to be with you today. As I was telling you, we sat down. My mother is a big fan <laughs> of you and your work and what you stand for. That's good and to so hear. When I, when I and so when I heard that Father Pavone was going to be at CPAC, I knew that I was going to be in trouble if I didn't interview you. So here we are, you know. Well, you, God bless you, her. Yeah. So so let's let's get into some of the things now that you're seeing in this in this new administration. I mean, so start with if you would, because you know the news of the day is the what's called the Equality Act, which is yes. passed in the House. Democrats have passed this in the House, and what that will do for uh, religious freedom and just just what it means to the Catholic community and Catholics who are actually pro-life. And that's a whole other conversation I want to have with you yeah. about the other Catholics. But the for now, other ones. Well, but, but for now, tell me about the Equality Act. The only equality it establishes is an equality between the abortion procedure and other procedures that are legitimate health care. Because look, well, here's what it does. Federal law has always made an exception to abortion. Even the Supreme Court said this is different from other procedures because it involves the purposeful ending of a human life. So when it comes to funding, for example, federal law says, with the exception of abortion, other, other uh, uh, health care services would be funded. People realize half the country, more than half the country, has severe moral reservations about this. What the Equality Act does is it erases all that. And it says, look, you can't discriminate on, based on any kind of condition of pregnancy. So what does that mean? Well, that means that you have to fund abortion like you fund other, other uh, procedures. What does that mean? Well, that you can't object, on, even on religious grounds, to uh, participating in or paying for abortion. And this is, this, if it were to become law, this would create a revolution across the country. I'm convinced. For decades, bipartisan leadership has made these exceptions for abortion, has recognized that Americans have a right to object to this. Uh, the, the, the Democrats that are getting behind this bill are, are seem to be completely oblivious to that. And to the extent that they are aware of it, they simply don't care. What do you think it's going to take uh, for people who are Democrats who still hold some... I, I, okay, maybe let me rephrase this question, actually. What is it with Catholics who vote Democrat, who think that they're actually staying within the tradition of the faith? I, I always ask that. I, I mean, I, speaking as, as a Catholic, I wonder about this. Yeah. You know, yeah. How, how is it? And, and then you even have officials like Joe Biden and Nancy Pelosi who will put their Catholicism out there, sometimes almost as a political shield. Joe yeah. Biden is devout. A Republican who is pro-life is extreme. But Joe right. Biden's devout. Yeah. I just make sense of this for me, Father. What's going on? Well, you know, this is one of the reasons my ministry grew, Priests for Life, because Catholics in the pews who are pro-life are asking the very same question, and they have this insight. The priests aren't speaking up about this enough. Bernard Nathanson, I knew Bernard Nathanson, he helped to start the abortion industry in America. And later on, he became pro-life, first through science and then through faith. 
You know what he said? When he and his friends were launching the abortion industry in America, they said, we're going to take a gamble that the church will be asleep. We're going to steal the issue from the clergy. And they did. And that's why he, he was a friend of our ministry, because he said to me, look, you know, we would have never gotten away with what we did if the clergy had been united, purposeful, and strong. So I think that a lot of the blame for clueless Catholics in the pews is silent priests in the pulpit. That's part of what's going on here. And that's why we've tried to start a reform movement within the clergy to say, basically, in nicer terms, open your mouths, you know, and, 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 and say something about this. I, I speak about politics all the time. I got behind President Trump really strong in both of his campaigns. And some people come along to me, you know, pastors come along and say, hey, why are you doing all this political stuff? You know, we're supposed to be doing the work of the church. You know what I say to them? What makes you think you're going to be free to do the work of the church if you put these Democrats in office that don't care about religious freedom? The Catholics are clueless because a lot of the priests are clueless. And we have got to open our mouths. We've got to start talking about this. This is one of the great things that, that I always liked about uh, and still do about what President Trump says. He says, look, we want the clergy to speak. He took action to make it easier for us to speak even about political things, without uh, of being afraid of interference from the government. So I think that's a big part of the solution. Is this, when, when it comes to the issue of life and, and religious freedom more broadly, is this the most radical administration at this stage? I know we're only in a couple of months that, that you can remember. I, I think so for this reason, even though some people will point to the fact that Joe Biden in the past has cast some pro-life votes, you know, when he was in, uh, in the Senate. I, and as I told people throughout the election season, it doesn't matter. What matters is that the party, the Democrat Party, is more extreme than it's ever been. They didn't have, you know, prior to uh, 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 the, this last election, they didn't have explicitly in their platform to get rid of the Hyde Amendment. That was supported in a bipartisan way for decades. And um, so because the party is more extreme and, and brazen than it has ever been, then so is the administration. Uh, Biden is simply following, you know, the, 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 the extreme has moved to the center. Uh, and, and this is what we're facing. It is the more, most extreme than ever. What is the issue right now that you're the most focused on that you're hoping to make some headway with your organization, Priest for Life? What, what are you, is, I'm sure there are many issues, but is yeah. there one thing right now that is top of the agenda for you that you want to get the word out about? Yes, you know what it is, it, when you look at the whole abortion question, so many different dimensions to it, but it's the continued practice of late-term abortion. There's a reason why President Trump focused on that all the time. We've got the momentum here in public opinion, on the state legislative level, and even in the Congress, there is a strong support for saying to America, look, aside from the question of choice or, you know, terminating a pregnancy, how far into the pregnancy are you going to wait before you make a choice. Now, we don't believe the choice to kill a baby should ever be made. Uh, that's always wrong. But the point is when you've got most people ready to say, let's stop it at 20 weeks, for goodness sake, uh, or, or, or even earlier than that. But there's a, there's a strong consensus that tearing a baby apart limb from limb at 23, 24 weeks into the pregnancy is absolutely beyond the pale. Even some European countries don't that that, 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 right. that allow some abor some abortions will not allow those abortions. Right, we are in a small handful of countries that allow it. In fact, only four countries allow it throughout pregnancy. Canada to the north, 
And then you got China and North Korea. Not good company to be in. So I think that that's the next moment. I wrote a book a few years ago, which basically outlined, uh, you know, what's the, what are the next steps that the state and the church need to take? I identified this late-term abortion as this is our next victory. And I believe we're going to do it. And we've got the American people behind us. Father Frank Pavone, everybody, National Director of Priests for Life. Father Pavone, before we let you go, where can people uh, go to see your, your work and what you're up to? Endabortion.us is our main website. All the social media links there. We're on all the platforms. And we do daily broadcasting. Endabortion.us. Father Pavone, thanks so much. Thank you. That's it for tonight's Hold the Line. The No Spin News with Bill O'Reilly is up next. Shields high.